been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. Did you have a good Christmas? I had a great Christmas. Get a little Merry, Merry Christmas. Little what, how, Jethro Tull here from the Jethro Tull Christmas album. Love the organ. <laughs> Can't beat the old Hammond organ, you know. I mean, that... Oh yeah. Ye old B three organ. <laughs> so how how was how was your your first Christmas away from sunny Southern California, Craig? I got socks, <laughs> toe socks, just socks. You know, socks. I, I I got a thing for those multicolored toe socks. I, I think those are pretty awesome. <laughs> I also got jerky, socks and jerky. Beef. Uh, actually, it's uh, it's it's a stick. It's a, a buffalo. <laughs> Elk and oh. venison stick. Oh my goodness! It's all blended together. It's oh, pretty that, delicious. That's like a Ted Nugent uh, special there, or something like that. There's there's a real big Cabela's shop near us. Okay, and, there you go. See that that yeah. that's like Toys R Us for Ted Nugent. <laughs> Have you ever seen the No Reservations uh, U.S. Desert Southwest where where Bourdain goes to visit Nugent on his ranch? Oh yeah, that's that's a great one. And, and he goes out there and shoots the automatic weapons. Oh, he shoots uh, the the largest uh, the largest machine gun that a, a man can hold without a stand. And and Bourdain, who's kind of an you know East Coast uh, liberal, sort of, looks vaguely satisfied. It's 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 a it's a, <laughs> it's a life altering experience for him. But well, yeah, he, he, I remember him saying something like. This is so wrong, yeah, but so cool. Or something <laughs> yeah, like that's, that. That's it, exactly. So, so you had you had a, you had a good. Did you have a white Christmas? No, we just had a cold Christmas. A cold. We had, we had snow uh, about a week ago before Christmas. About a week before Christmas, and uh, it it all melted. It warmed up to like sixty degrees. And oh, then nice. It all went away, and then oh, you had it just got cold again. You had you had typical Missouri, Missouri misery. Uh, winter weather right there. Oh, yeah. It, it's schizophrenic around here. The at, weather's just schizo. At the Missouri Botanical Gardens, they have a poster which uh, has the record highs and record lows for every day of the year. So it's 365 and I think one more too. So, but, but, <laughs> and, and when you look at winter, there's, there are spreads of like 60 degrees or more. Oh, yeah. You know, so you, you can have record highs in the 90s, and you can have record lows at, at like 20 below zero, which would put you over – that put you over a 100-degree spread. But the, the winter spread is amazing. In, in, now, in summer, it, it gets pretty consistent. You know, record high, 120. Record, record low, 110. Something like that. But, but – uh, <laughs> So, uh, so you, Paula, Rufus, did you get together with family at all? Did you no, any- just just the just the three of us, and uh, we kind of hunkered down. Christmas Eve, we went to uh, uh, Reformation Lutheran Church in Afton. Ah, the, that that was my old hangout when I was at the seminary. Oh, really? Me too. Yeah, well, that's the- you know, I used to live about a mile down the street. Well, from you there. you that's right, that's right. Yeah. You lived like almost a stone's throw from Ted Drews. Yeah, a the, mile the, from Ted Drews. That you know, I used to very I'd dangerously close. <laughs> I'd, I'd get my Labrador. I walked down to Ted Drews. Oh man! I get a you know medium Fox Street concrete, and then I'd walk back, and I I would convince myself that the two mile walk actually would walk off the eighty three thousand calories. Yeah, be- just beautiful ate. case of denial, <laughs> dietary denial, right there. Yeah. Speaking speaking of, did, were there good eats at your festive board at Christmas? Um, well, a- after church, we went to uh, Joey B's. 
which uh, is a kind of Italian restaurant on the hill. Joey B's. Yeah, it was what was open, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the three restaurants that were open besides right. Emo's Pizza. <laughs> and, and we actually sat in the bar and had dinner in the bar. But Oh, oh yeah. It, it was actually really cool because they had all this old Christmas music piped in, all, all the old stuff with uh, Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra and Mel Torme and all that great stuff. Beautiful. And uh, so it, it was actually kind of a cool environment. So that might be our new thing is church in a bar on Christmas Eve. <laughs> church in a bar. <laughs> oh, nothing says like away from home for the holidays, like having dinner at a bar. Yeah, that's, that's, and, that's good. Uh, then on Christmas Day, we, we kind of hung around the house, and then we went and saw a movie. Oh, what'd you see? Uh, the Walter Mitty movie. Walter the, uh, Mitty. What, what's that called? I can't, <laughs> you can't remember the name of the movie it's, now? It's uh, The uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty or something like that. I, uh, I, I fired up my Blu-ray. Yeah, I was going to ask what you did. I don't own any Blu-ray, but but I, I, I they're so cheap now, you know, because nobody, everybody streams now, so that's that's old school. But but uh, uh, the nice thing about the Blu-ray player is that it takes my old DVDs and it converts their aspect ratio to my TV, so so it fills the screen. You know, I don't have to right. look. At, I don't have to look at the, those black bands above and below and things like that. And uh, so I watched uh, both uh, Charlie Brown Christmas specials. Beautiful. Uh, now, there, there are two. Most people only know the first one, and that was done in, like, 1967. It's the classic. Oh, that reminds me. I, sh- I should have put Vince, Vince Guaraldi on the soundboard. I forgot about that. Oh, that'd be good. Uh, maybe I can hunt for it. Um, the, uh, and then there was one that was done in 1992, which I suspect – I can't remember when Charles Schulz died, but I don't think he had as much input, if any – in in that one, it was I think it was an attempt to recapture the magic of the 1967 one, ah, and yeah. did and didn't and didn't. But uh, and then the the I also watched the Mr. Magoo Christmas Carol, which which <laughs> is Jim Backus, yes, which is my absolute favorite from when I was a kid. I loved the Mr. Magoo adaptation of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It is so good. So, yeah. Was... Now, now uh, Jim, uh, Mr. Magoo is, is Scrooge? No. Yes, he plays Ebenezer Scrooge. That's right. And, uh, and it's actually... I thought Mr. Magoo was a nice guy. Well, he is, but but he he plays the part of an actor. They 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 set it as a stage production, a musical, no less, and uh, and so they've adapted Dickens Dickens' story to a stage musical. And Mr. Magoo is an actor playing the part of Ebenezer Scrooge. Ah, I get it. And and so so the the Magoo thing is far. It's it's receded way in the background with just a uh, just a couple of uh, rather politically incorrect nearsighted pranks for slapstick comedy politically incorrect ones well it's making fun of people who can't see i mean you know it's, it's just i'm you, offended you know when yeah you would I be am offended. that's right you have bad eyes I, yeah, I'm I amazed when I look at that old stuff. I'm amazed at what they got away with on television in the <laughs> '60s and the '70s. This would never happen. This would never happen in the 21st oh, century. Oh gosh, the the cartoons from the time of World War II just just amazingly well, racist. Or, or think about all the family standards, just Th- ridiculous. Think about all the family. Every, everybody's all wound up about the Duck Dynasty guy today. Think about what <laughs> Norman Lear got away with at all the family for how many seasons? Yeah, but the thing is, Archie Bunker was portrayed as a conservative to make him look like a complete jerk. You know, that's true. It was it was a parody of conservatives, but but still, the stuff that he said. Oh yeah, you couldn't get away with that stuff. No, today. no, not not with all the stuff that uh, Steve Martin's been going through and all the other stuff. It's ridiculous. The, well, Steve Martin, what's going on with him? Oh, I forget what it was. There was some Italian food, and uh, the, he, he someone said, "Is that Italian food?" He said, "Or you know, basically, uh, if you live in the wrong neighborhood, a child's name or something like that, oh. so, ind- indicating you know the Laquisha kind of names and all that." I, you know? I, I, <laughs> and uh, now, now there's all this racist fervor and everything. Yeah, so. no, that, that's and, and we are we are in a post-racial society. Amazingly, yeah, you wouldn't know it. 
I thought we were in a post-logical society. We are that, too. Uh, yeah. It's called, uh, I think some call it post-modern. I, I refuse to, to recognize the term post-modern. It's just modern. Post-intelligence? Yeah, right. It's post-education is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, the other thing that I know, I, I, I downloaded, uh, for some, I, I went on this major nostalgia kick, and I downloaded the Dean Martin Christmas album. Oh. And that is a beauty. That that is a piece of work. Uh, so I, I'm on this kick right now with with iTunes. I, I want to get Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, um, uh, Bing Crosby. I mean, nobody oh, yeah. does White Christmas like no, Bing Crosby. No. no. Uh, but but Dean Martin. I started thinking about Dean Martin. There's another act you can't do on TV anymore. Oh no. The guy had a drink in one hand, a cigarette in the other hand. Okay. And he's All right. And he's on TV. We saw Saving Mr. Banks, you know, the new Walt Disney Oh, yeah, about, about uh, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins, all yeah. that. Good movie, good movie. Was it? But uh, they couldn't show Walt Disney smoking because it would be rated R <laughs> if he was smoking. <laughs> right? You can show acts of mayhem and perversion and get away with a PG, but if he smokes, that's it. R, baby. Meanwhile, one of the characters <laughs> is a raging alcoholic yeah. and drinks himself to death. Nice. But that only merits a PG. Well, there you go. If you hold a cigarette, that's rated R. Yeah, I, I, I bet he could probably have used crack cocaine or meth. And, and, and that's <laughs> Not still... if it smokes. Yeah, Nothing that smokes. Don't smoke it. Maybe, maybe intravenous drugs. Don't smoke Heroin. it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so so what would you do, what'd you do Christmas Day? That was Christmas Eve was at Reformation Afton. Great, great, right, right. great place. Our friend Henry Gerkia is, is the, the organist. Play the organ there. Uh, they had a four-person choir, Reformation uh, has uh, declined a little bit since, uh, we since had my days the there. The glory days. We had a great choir. Yeah, yeah. Back, uh, well, my fourth year at seminary, I used to go to church there pretty much every Sunday, and Jeff Gibbs was in the choir. And, oh, yeah. Uh, all sorts of Do, so, Does the SEM crowd still go there? Uh, Foyer Han does, Dr. Foyer Han. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they, were, they were regulars there when we yeah, were there. Yeah, I've seen him. That's their, uh, that's their home that church. And uh, Dick Warnick. Oh, seriously? You know, Good. Professor Warnick. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, I saw him. I, he remembered my name. I was shocked. I, <laughs> I no, I, I I like that. I like that church. I like the congregation there. Um, a, a different pastor. Tim Quill was the pastor there when oh, okay. I was there. Uh, but yeah, but, Dave Dave Pelsu always lays down a great nice law gospel good sermon. good just, pastor. Um, I've yeah, got just, I've gotten just to a know him a little bit. Law gospel sermon every time. Hey, here's a little nod to Henry. Um, it, I, I I collected a couple of my favorite Christmas tunes. I hope you don't mind. I, I was just going to play some off my iPad. Yeah, for it. But but this is uh, Henry's. I, I hope this is Henry's. This, I think this is my number one favorite Christmas hymn. So and this is the Sem Chorus doing it from. I think it's the album Blessed. So yes. Always manages to get that monastic sound, you know. Is that you cannot beat the all male chorus? No, it was, he 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 did a masterful job when he was the uh, choir director at the seminary there. I, I sang I sang with him for uh, the uh, my three in residence years at the SEM, and then uh, my grad my grad school uh, time too. I also stayed with the choir. We did uh, I think three or four choir tours. And uh, at the time, about three CDs. And uh, I learned more about hymnody, liturgy, chanting, uh, all of that from uh, being in choir with Henry than I think any class that I took on the topic. It, it, was, it was that and evening prayer on Tuesdays and Thursdays leading that taught me how to chant. Well, I got involved with that because of your recommendation also. And uh, same thing, you know, he really 
really helped you to understand these things and how to do it. And, and uh, great, great times. I never did go on the tours because I just heard horror stories about the tours all the time. <laughs> the so. tours were great. Uh, I, I heard about van crashes and uh, people sleeping, you know, four or five to a hotel room or sleeping on uh, uh, well, people's I, floors and all sorts of stuff like I, that. I, I, just... I, I did share a queen size with Henry once, so that... <laughs> You know that movie. I don't, I don't want to hear about you know, it. You know the movie I'm, I'm not Pla- Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? <laughs> right there. That's what that, that, but you know, those little. Who, who was John Candy and, and who was Steve Martin in that? <laughs> we, we're, let's, just, let's just say we, we're, we're, we're very quiet about that, okay? <laughs> Great times. So I met a lot of nice people, stayed in a lot of nice homes. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. The, the tours were great. Uh, in fact, we were the first uh, class to go on choir tours. Touring was forbidden since the Seminex days. <laughs> and uh, What we, happened in the Seminex days? Well, I think they were doing some recruiting for Elam and some of the stuff like that. So it was a little bit more, touring was a little bit more of a political exercise back ah, then. I see. Whereas we were actually conducting services of evening prayer and uh, singing. So it was, it was quite... It was good. The standout from that, though, is Mobile, Alabama. It stands out in my mind of all the places we've been to. um, That's one of the two outstanding venues. For this reason, the best potluck I've ever experienced, short of the ones we have at Holy Trinity where I serve. Anyone Uh, bring gumbo or anything like that? uh, They brought a huge, and I mean humongous, bowl of marinated shrimp. Ooh. And I'm talking the big Gulf shrimp. Then this is pre BP. You know, this is this is before the 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 shrimp went kind of nuclear or whatever. But uh, no, great and and marinated in some kind of spicy citrus thing that was just off. The, it was just just terrific. I just went nuts over the shrimp. Cholesterol shot up, you know, three times. But I was young back then. I didn't care. And Henry got the gout. And Henry got the. <laughs> 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 yeah, those I'll tell you those those tours were tough for um for the diet if you were on one because oh, I mean, yeah. you were eating rich just every day. And also sleep. Yeah, it was training for my later higher things work where you you learn to you learn to work on the average about 3 hours of sleep a night and remain somewhat coherent or at least put on a good show. So do we have anything in the mailbag today? You know what? We haven't we haven't done our uh, housekeeping yet. <laughs> we were so eager to get started. We're so giddy over our technology problems being largely solved that we forgot to even do uh, our 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 usual um, phone number, <laughs> email, uh, email address. Well, let's let's do that. the The Skype hotline, the Manly Doctors hotline, is area code six two six. Five nine three seventy seven thirteen, which spells Manly Doctors thirteen, and the mothership Godwhispers dot org, where we have the full archive of all one hundred forty eight or so episodes back to episode one, some three and a half years ago, where you can hear the general decline and fall of the God Whisperers uh, as as we go and slip slide into snarkiness. And what 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 did they say in Christian news about us that we were snarky? And we were often uh, idiotic. Idiotic, yes. Usually, mostly idiotic. Mostly idiotic. (laughs) So, so there. And uh, so you can check that out. If you want to email us, a great way to uh, get a topic discussed on air besides the call in, uh, it it will be uh, godwhispers at gmail.com. And uh, you want to go the want to go the mailbag? Well, first, I'd like to say we did have three Skype calls, oh. but they were all you trying to get in touch with me <laughs> to try to get all this. So that, that, that didn't work. That didn't really count. Let's go to the mail. Let's go to the mailbag. The God Whispers Mailbag, brought to you by the LCMS. <laughs> the, Why not? Oh, they're our sponsor now? <laughs> I'm waiting for the checks on that one. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, this comes from John, uh, and I believe he's writing from the land down under. Down under. Yeah, he uh, he took note. Uh, he actually listened to the first of our shows on KFUO, which I'm amazed anybody stuck with. But John John's a diehard here. He, he hung with us. And he wanted to share a Christmas carol from the land down under. 
A Down uh, Under Christmas Carol. Apparently so. This was included, he says, in uh, the Lutheran Church in Australia supplement to hymnal 1987. And uh, he, he points out verses 4 and 5. But uh, if I may, I don't know what the tune is that this works with. But uh, here it is. On Christmas night, cicadas sing beneath the Southern Cross in sticky heat. A baby king is born on earth for us. Boy, this comes up. This is this is a lot. This is a lot different perspective than see amid the winter snow. I'm telling uh, you, a right little now. different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The box trees shiver with delight, and mystery is here. A buzz of beetles bursts the night, and crickets raise a cheer. <laughs> the old green frog of rainy days peers skywards at the light and swelling bursts with croaks of praise at such a mighty sight. They must have some awesome Sunday school uh, Christmas programs. If, if you got beetles, crickets, and frogs, okay? Uh, you know, I mean, we get our requisite donkey, you know, they get camp, we get camels, we get this. They got frogs. Well, you can bring Christmas in a shoebox with some. Something like well, that. This, you know, you don't you, you know, don't need the big trailer pulling up with uh, all the livestock. You You're can just... you can downsize your living nativity scene <laughs> enormously. The Southern Cross is stretched in pain and shouts the reason why the Son of God is born a man and comes to Earth to die. I get some nice uh, theology of the cross in there. Southern Cross, I hasten to point out. And all the night explodes with song for love so fierce and wild that drove our Savior from his home and made our Lord a child. So shout aloud with earth's own kings the praises of that Lord who turns your hearts to gentle things, your hands to do his word. Uh, Aubrey Podlich, born 1946, still among us. So uh, that's an interesting. Now, see, there's a southern hemispherical perspective. That that southern cross thing is is that a a South will rise again kind of confederate? No, 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 no. It's not. It's don't even don't go down that road. What are you saying? I don't have enough hands to Google that. I know that from a Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young song, the Southern Cross, but it's not. It's a hemispherical thing. Right. It's not. It's not the South as we know it. It's the Southern Hemisphere. But uh, well, but everything revolves around the United States. So I, I don't <laughs> see how you could get around that. God bless America. <laughs> uh, yeah, for us it does, doesn't it? I'm surprised that we haven't retooled the Christmas narrative to say that you know Jesus was born in like Manhattan or something, just to or, or that Georgia, Georgia. No, it would have to be New England for the setting. Oh yeah, somewhere in true. Connecticut, maybe Mystic or something like that. New Hampshire, yeah, that would look New good. New Hampshire, baby Jesus. You know, <laughs> I I couldn't help but to to think as you were reading that about how uh, when Jesus was born, the frogs and the crickets looked on adoringly. It's just... <laughs> Just one of those things, you know. It, you know, it, like the sheep and the cattle did. The you know, we should the crickets. Are we there. should ask Henning, our southern hemispherical uh, correspondent from South Africa, if he's got any South African perspective uh, hymns for Christmas. I, I'm sure. I'm sure he's got some some interesting ones as well. Yeah, um, I, I'm curious what that would be. <laughs> the Southern Cross is astronomical. Ah, astronomical. It, it's the smallest of the 88 modern constellations. Um, it, but the, that's that, and that's what's that's the referent in the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young song too. Uh, it's 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 it, because that that's about a um, that's about sailing, and so it, it it's a it's a it's it's part of navigation. But I should it, have known that with my two semesters of astronomy back in 1987, <laughs> well, 86. It, it was a curriculum like pattern, you know. Obviously, is it was it was it was that or basket weaving that you took. Yeah, no, or? I actually enjoyed astronomy. I Did liked you? it. Yeah, it was one of my things. Hey, while while I'm on the internet, um, I, I I'm taking note of our our favorite our new favorite um, religion news service. Uh, just just a quickie on the way out here. Uh, the uh, Duck Dynasty people, uh, they're promoting January 21st as Phil Robertson's support day. They want you to don your camo and eat at Chick-fil-A. 
Eat at Chick-fil-A. Yeah. In your camo. In, on, on what day was that? In your camo. On This would be on January 21st. Well, there's something to do. We'll be back. Got a little after, Allison Krauss here. After these promotional recordings. Welcome back to the world-famous God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla again. Who are we listening to here, Bill? It's a little bit more Jethro Tull from the Jethro Tull Christmas album. It's all a my... Very, a very Aqualung Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm putting this out there for all my friends who play flute. This is for Catherine. Catherine, my friend who plays flute. I wanted to play flute, you know, when I was a kid. And it was... I remember sixth grade. And, uh... They brought the band instruments around, and uh, they demonstrated all of them. And I thought that the demo piece for flute was the coolest. And so I, uh, uh, I, I told my mom, I said, I want to play flute. And she says, you can't play flute. And I said, why not? She says, it's a girl's instrument. It is. I didn't want to tell you that, but, hey, but it is. So you're in the band, and you're the only guy in an all-girls section. The problem here is What? <laughs> All right, I got a story for you on this. All right. In college, uh, I needed an elective, and uh, I was going to a community college. A friend of mine said, uh, we've just got to take any elective. And he said, I'm going to take this sewing class. I'm like, sewing? <laughs> what, are you, what, what are you thinking about, sewing? And he said, come take it with me. I'm like, why? He said, who takes sewing? I said, girls? He goes, exactly. There. And so we took the sewing class. There was us, about 30 girls, and this gay guy. <laughs> well, I, I think it all depends. I mean, are you taking it a to meet girls? B because you want to become a fashion designer. Uh, C, and I, I really, I have to say, I, I wish I'd taken a sewing class. Okay, because because for the life of me, I can't sew a button on. And you know, I can do a button. That's about it. Didn't I read somewhere you you had, and I believe you had it in your bathroom. This this was when we when we lived in close proximity. Um, this guide to manliness. What was that? What was that big that big paperback book that you had? Oh yeah, the large the, format. The big quote unquote darned book. Oh of yes, manliness. yes, big. Uh, yeah. uh, yes, making fingers do quote signs. Big darned book on on manliness. Right. And there's also a a website, isn't there, on the art of manliness? Oh yeah, the art of manliness. That's actually a pretty cool site. Yeah. I like that site. And, and but I believe one of the one of the things that every man should know how to do is sew on a button. I I, I would. I believe it's on the list. That that comes in handy. That and 
And being able to kind of stitch up some pants that you blow out in the seat might might be a good thing too. Exactly, because it's it's going it's going to happen it's sooner sooner or later. I you know, middle age spread is going to you know settle in. And do you really want to be dependent on on your wife or or some woman to uh, stitch up your blown out pants? You know, it catches the best of us. It, it, <laughs> the um, I think there's some other things that that every man should know how to do. Um, it, I, I think every man should be able to cook. At least a half dozen different meals, and especially an omelet. I think every man should. I, I agree with Anthony Bourdain on this that every man should be able to make an omelet. You know, here here's the thing: is who tend to be the top chefs? Men. Yeah, it's a it's actually uh, professional kitchen. It's still an old boy. It's a boys' network in there. Tailors. You go to the Italian guy. You're going to pay two, three times, but you know it's going to be impeccable. Yes. You know, and so and it's all men. It's, it's, it's all it's, it's all men are, doing this work. Yeah, and and basically, I think that these things have got relegated to be quote unquote women's work because a bunch of guys don't want to take the time to figure it out, and so they just say, "Well, that's chick stuff," and they just they just blow it off. Well, not now we've made it a matter of natural law. So you know, I mean, it's just it's basically that that uh, it's 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 designed, it's ordained by God that women should cook. <laughs> Except we have exceptions, don't we? Uh, the smoker and the grill—that's still man's that's territory. Right. Where there's open fire, men still they they, still cook. they gather around. They have beer, yeah. and and they uh they, they 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 grill meat flesh over open flame that that's that's a manly thing to do but but i agree with bourdain you know he bourdain says that the big mistake was uh back in the the 60s the 70s when feminism took hold uh home ec classes just died in fact i think i took the last home ec class my my eighth grade this would have been 1970 and what did you learn in this class well it was a two-parter uh, and and we all took it, boys and girls. It didn't matter. And see, they were enlightened. They knew. They understood. Uh, part A was woodworking, which I I love to this day. And so we, we made um, a, a like a a book a book holder. It, it was supposed to be for um, uh, hardback size books, but I got a little carried away with the plane, and and so mine became a paperback book holder. So it just it just reduced in size. But I, I learned to adapt. Uh, and then the second half was cooking. So we, we learned basic uh, hygiene, uh, cooking practices, all of us. And it was a good thing, I think. So okay. Bourdain, see, <laughs> Bourdain says the, the big mistake was they said, oh, you know, this is the, the, girls shouldn't, the girls don't need to know to do this. They need to prepare for careers. They don't need to know how to cook. They don't need to know how to soak. Oh, and, I see. So, and so, so, just, so they closed down the, the class. Guys, but the girls also went they, away from Yeah, it. they closed down the class, whereas we were more pro- progressive. Everybody took this. The guys took it, too. So we were comfortable with the, the pots, the pans, boiling water, frying Baking things. a cake, whatever. Baking a cake. That's right. Yeah. And uh, you know, great skills. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing sort of man's work, women's work about. This is a confusion I think that we're having with this male-female conversation. Is we've gotten into stereotypical behaviors, and we attribute them to men or women. Yeah, you know, well, a, a book came out not too long ago. I don't know, maybe five years ago, maybe more. I I, don't, I can't remember, but uh, it was something like "No More Christian Mister Nice Guy" or something like that. Okay, and. It was a bogus book on masculinity. Um, basically, I, I never read it, but a bunch of guys read it, and they'd go to their singles group or their, you know, young adults group. <laughs> yeah, emphasis on the word single. There's a reason. And, yeah, and <laughs> and they they try to overcompensate. Yeah, and instead of being masculine, they were just a bunch of macho jerks, <laughs> and you know, it, it just didn't. It didn't work. If you have to try to be a man, uh, you know, if you have to really work at it, you're probably not going to do it right. Well, and and what what does that actually even mean? I, I think it's a collection of of rather arbitrary stereotypes. Oh yeah, and 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 that and that's that's the problem with the whole complementarianism movement. You, you've 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 probably seen that, right? The idea that male and female are complementary to each other, and so somehow there's this magical fit of of she does certain things well, he does certain things well. But when you look at what those things are, they're actually just stereotypes. There, there's there's no basis in any kind of like biological reality for this stuff, except for making babies. Obviously, there's a there's a kind of a role here that you can't avoid okay 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense to but, me. But that. beyond that, what the cooking, okay, there's nothing, there's nothing masculine or feminine about cooking. Now, men and women may do it differently. They may approach it differently. I don't know. But as you say, most of the famous chefs in the world and, and the majority of people working in a the kitchen, they are still men. Yeah, if you go out to eat, who's who's working, you know, at the grill back there? It's usually a guy <laughs> from Mexico, <laughs> at least by me, <laughs> or Guatemala. Yeah, you know? <laughs> but you, but it, and and you know, and but I mean that in all seriousness. You know why? Why? Because because cooking is 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 not a a gender stereotyped activity in those countries. No. They, they may have learned to cook from their mo- mothers, but they're darn good cooks. They know their way around the kitchen. They have skills. You know who really loves to cook? Hmm. Rod Zwanitzer here at KFUO. Is he? Is he a, food- he is he, is he a foodie? Oh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's big time foodie. Oh. He, he, I haven't had his food yet, but he's, he's told me about a lot of the stuff that he cooks. And I'm looking forward to having dinner over at his place sometime I, soon. I've taken up bread making. Uh, this, the 2013 has I know been you've the, been putting that on Facebook. It looks great. It's been the year of yeasted breads for me. And, and uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's, been, it's been great. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've gotten to know dough again. Dough is, dough is beautiful. You've gotten a little artistic. Well, you know, shaping and 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 slashing of loaves and slashing sounds a little bit more violent than it actually is. It's rather surgical, but 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 shaping and slashing is to bread making as plating is to cooking. It's it's about appearance. It's about making it look interesting, pleasing. Uh, you know, I mean, a lump of dough baked is going to taste pretty darn good, no matter what it looks like. But to get the slash marks right, to get the shape of the uh, the various traditional shapes of bread, there's a lot of lot of uh, sort of creative artistry in that. It's a little bit like pottery. You know, you're shaping dough, and then it goes in the oven. You don't quite know how it's going to come out because it'll do anything in there. It's got a mind of its own. In yeah, there. It, it it does go its own direction. Hey, we've we've only got about uh, 15 minutes left in the oh, show t- here. Oh, time for me to play more and, of my favorite Christmas pe- music. People actually expect there to be some sort of like theological content. We've been giving or something we've like been that. giving content. We've been slipping it in here and there. So, uh, <laughs> orders of creation. We've we've natural kind of law, we've that rebuked in. that uh, or at least ridiculed it. So, um uh, uh Another favorite – I want to play some favorite, my favorite Christmas music. This, All right, okay. I can't – I don't have a recording of this in English. I only have it off Deutsch. But it's the, the great Nikolai Hammerschmidt. Oh, I love – Yeah, you know, the 17th century is, is the, the best for, for, uh, for Lutheran hymnody. But this is Alleluia Freut euch. What does that translate to? Rejoice. It's Oh, Rejoice All Christians Loudly. That is in LSB, for those of you keeping score. Let's see if I can find it while this is going. Got to get it to the refrain. So this is um, LSB 897, O Rejoice Ye Christians Loudly. Uh, I love the second verse of this. You know how the, like hymns like Green or not Green Sleeves, What Child Does This have the, the cross theme woven into it? So this, okay. one, this one has this as, as well. See my soul, thy Savior chooses weakness here and poverty. In such love he comes to thee. Neither crib nor cross refuses. All he suffers for thy good to redeem thee by his blood. And then the refrain, joy, O oh joy, beyond all gladness, Christ has done away with sadness. Hence all sorrow and repining, for the sun of grace is shining. The uh, text is, is, let's see, Christian, man, I can't read, it's too small. Christian Kiman, 17th century. The tune is Andreas, no, it's, it was Andreas Hammerschmidt. Um, Andreas Hammerschmidt. Yes. Those guys, those guys rocked. 17th century, man. Listen to this. 
It's in German, but they almost sound joyful. I like that delayed repeat of the line. That's very nice. Yep. That one ranks probably very high on my list. I put that at either one or two on my list of... Uh, and it's not even in the Christmas section of LSB. I, I don't know that one. Um, it's in oddly, it's in the New Year's section. Eight ninety seven sticks it in New Year, and I think it's for that last line of "Fan to flame, faith's glowing embers, grant all Christians far and near holy peace, a glad New Year." But it's got nothing to do with January first. Uh, at the time this was written, Christmas was kind of considered the New Year. And so that was it was irrelevant. They they weren't looking ahead to January first. Uh, Christmas was considered the New Year. It's very nice. Yeah, I like it. I I give it a thumbs up. You give it a not bad up? for an angry language. It's actually like you said, kind of kind of happy for an angry language. Uh, unusually joyful. <laughs> Un- unusually, but uh, it, you know, it, it represents, I think, some of the better of the the 17th century. Uh, had a real dynamic to it. I, I I I think I refer to this every year, but Paul McCreish, a Lutheran Mass for Christmas morning. It's the music of Michael Praetorius, who's contemporary with Hammer Schmidt, and uh, you you see how dynamic. The, the worship was in Lutheran churches in the 17th century. You had, you had the choir, you had orchestra, you had the organ, you had the congregation, and there was a lot of interplay between those. Uh, it, was, it was very rich in dynamic music and uh, liturgical settings. Uh, things got kind of like stale with the pietists and the rationalists that chipped away at the, the, uh, the, the splendor of, of Lutheran hymnody and liturgy. But that was a, that was a great period, I think, for, for Lutheran hymns and liturgical setting. Pretorius has been coming on strong lately. <laughs> I don't know why all all of a sudden. You, what makes you, you say that? Well, it, it's just a name that I keep hearing more and more lately. Not just with uh, with with hymnody, but uh, gosh, I think uh, the Olympics four years ago or two years ago, I think they they played a Pretorius piece, and then it, it's popped up on some commercials here and there. Uh, what is that one? The planets or uh... that's Holst, Gustav Holst. Oh, that's Gustav Holst, not yeah. Pretorius. No, Michael Pretorius is, is. I get those two confused for some reason. He's he's uh, another one of the the German Lutheran. Uh, the age of orthodoxy. You know, this is this is the age of of uh, Gerhard and and those that followed. But this was a rich age for for Lutheran hymnody. I, I think it's where Lutheranism. Really came to its fullest maturity, and and that and it it was before um, before Pietism really really kind of trashed a lot of the good stuff that the the Reformation produced. It was also a difficult period, as a period of the Thirty Years' War, and so so there there was uh, there was death, poverty, plague, uh, you know, horrible things, but but also intensely creative. I, I I think it um, I, I think it illustrates how uh, uh, the, the bad times are very creative times that one of there can be very creative times. You you threw out the word pietism. How would you define that for the folks who were playing the home game? <laughs> for the folks, um, the the early forms of pietism in in Lutheranism uh, pioneered by by Johann Arndt or, or Spainer, Jakob Spainer and Johann Arndt. Um, it, it's more of an interior kind of religion. It's a focus on your feelings, especially your feelings of contrition, of being truly sorry for your sins. Um, it's, it tends to be more individual. You're spending, you're spending more of your, your energies focusing on, as we would say today, your walk with the Lord uh, and things like that. Uh, it, it's also, it de-emphasizes the sacraments, the, the, 
the the idea of of the liturgy of the corporate people of God gathering together uh, the the Lord's Supper. This is where you get this notion that you shouldn't have the Lord's Supper often because it won't be special, or that you have to be truly prepared to receive it, or things like that. This uh, this is this is a uh, this was the age of Pietism that followed the the gold the the golden age of Lutheran Orthodoxy from which these hymns that I'm talking about come from. Is a lot of people listening right now maybe hear a lot of this stuff in their Lutheran churches that, uh, you know, a lot of this stress on uh, the mountaintop experiences, the feeling good stuff. And... Well, it's the individual versus the corporate. It's the subjective versus the objective, you know, kind of how it feels to me versus uh, Christ in word and sacrament coming to me. That's, that's the tension. Yeah, it's it's a lot of this uh, modern culture that's creeped in. You know, it just caters to this is, well, what's right for you might not be right for me and vice versa. And so, you know, it's all very individual and, and it's it's all about, you know, your, your feeling. How do you feel about it? Uh, you know, sin is really just about uh, not being true to yourself. That's what some people would tell well, us. Well, that, that's a little bit more modern. Uh, in in early Pietism, it, it was a it was real the very strong emphasis on the law, right? Um, and and the third what we sometimes call the third use of the law, uh, and that is that you know Christians need. To be disciplined and instructed, and and you need you need you, you get so language like when you even in our liturgy, I'm I'm heartily sorry for my sins, and I sincerely repent of them. See those <laughs> those those modifiers kind of betray that that more interior look, you know. And let's be honest, there are some Sundays when we do not we are not heartily sorry. In fact, we're hardly sorry for them. Right. And and, and you know, let's not let's not put the sincerity to a measure that that might uh that might that might disappoint us too so the pietism is is really more about the individual's uh faith life if you will you know even confirmation took on a different tone and confession uh confession was more of a coaching sort of thing where you came to the pastor to get advice for how to live the christian life and uh you you were engaged in the struggle against sin and you had to show evidence that you were gaining ground you know that you were increasing in your sanctification that you were you were growing in holiness and and uh and if you didn't see evidence well you weren't contrite enough so you needed to beat yourself up more and uh that that still spooks around today there's a, it, it's 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 i think just stuck in the genetics of lutheranism there's there's nothing you can do about it yeah it it's something that was going on back in the day of spainer when when he kind of made it popular and then uh it popped up again during the Seminex years uh that whole third use of the law thing was a big debate. Well, as a count, uh, that in that case it was a counter reaction because I mean, right. there were there were people in one way or another denying the law or its applicability to the Christian. Right, and and now there's you know it's it's constantly a debate in the church. It it seems to never go away. This whole struggle between uh, a proper understanding of the third use of the law and and Pietism. It, it it's a struggle there. Well, I, I think at, at the heart, you have to understand, whenever, whenever there's something going on like this and it keeps repeating, you have to ask yourself why. And, and I think it's the struggle between the old man and the new. It's, it's the struggle between right. the old yeah. man and Adam and the new man in Christ. The old man and Adam hates the word, hates the sacraments, does not want to deal with the fact that he cannot save himself that he's helpless before God, that, he is, that, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Not a single work of ours has any value, salvific value, before God. And it's entirely the, the work of the sacraments and God working through the external word. The old Adam hates this. And so we're always being drawn by him and also the devil in the world, back into ourselves, you know, being spiritual but not being religious. And um, when we throw out that that third use of the law, we're talking about the what we say the instructive use, that uh, didactic use. The, the first use is that which keeps society in check. Everybody understands if you steal someone else's stuff, they're going to hit you or have you arrested. Yeah, well, the, the like police that. is basically the first right. use of the law or, right there. 
Or if there are no cops around, uh, the guy and his brothers will come after you. Or, in, <laughs> or, or also in, intrinsic punishments so that, like, if you're consistently drunk all the time, your liver's going to rot. Yeah. It's, it's funny built, how that works. It's built into the behavior, see. Right. Um, so there are consequences for your actions in a temporal way. And, and se- second use is the mirroring use that shows us our sin. That's the theological use. And for Lutherans, that's, a, that's the major one. Right, because that's what drives us to Christ. When we see the the horrific uh, the condition that we're in, being captive to sin, is that we 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 are we are driven to Christ. We're we're that's the only place where our conscience will be at peace, because the conscience is just basically a big law monitor. It it, right. it it accuses or it makes excuses. That's all it does. So the only way to shut a conscience up is to take the law away from it. The only way you can do that is to be in Christ, because because Christ is the end of the law. And and then the third, the so-called third function or third use is, is as you say, instructive or, or I think maybe better disciplinary use of the law. Okay. Uh, because we're still, we're still, we're seemal. We're still old man in Adam. Even as believers, we're baptized. Our, our life is hid with God in Christ. Uh, we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And nevertheless, as Paul says, uh, he's still a, 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 a man living in a wretched body of death. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. The old Adam is still with us, and so he needs to hear the law, the discipline of the law. And be instructed as to what actual holiness looks like. Because let's face it, the inner man, the new man, always has to work through the old Adam. That's the problem. Pretty much. And the law is always for the old man, right? Well, the, the, the law, as Paul says, the law, if it's going to be used lawfully, um, applies to, to, does not apply to the justified, to the righteous, but to sinners. And so it applies to the, the, the old man in Adam which we all are as Christians, you know, within, and that's the outer man. That's what you deal with. That's what we see. That's what we engage when we engage each other. The new man is hidden. It's a, it's a matter of faith. Oh, I, got, I want to play one more, Chris. Uh, you mentioned Gustav Holst. Little Aaron Bodie here. Aaron Bodie? Maybe we'll go out with this. Oh, that'd be sweet. All right. This is, a, well, this is in the bleak midwinter. I love this. This is more of a carol than it is a hymn, but I really love it. Thanks for listening to God Whispers. I'll just say Jesus is a friend of mine. Frost and wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron. Water. Please.